discussion. I want us to be able to talk about it. Just back away from that, but it's always been a good jump. And uh, we will have other things, I think, we will discuss over these next few chapters. Uh, probably more and more, almost. And uh, so, as we do that, let's continue to keep a good spirit, keep an openness toward what the Word says. Uh, we are dealing with the spiritual gifts. We've had kind of an introduction to that in uh, 1 to 3. Now, would somebody read 4 through 11? Now, there are varieties of gifts of the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another the, the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of Spirit. To another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He will. Okay, now I want you to look carefully at the points. Look at the terms He uses. And four gifts. These, this, these gifts are not a badge of spirituality. They are a mark of grace. God generously accomplishes his purpose through these gifts in people's lives. Verse 5, ministries or service. The purpose is to serve others, not to glorify oneself. When we use it to, to exalt ourselves, we pervert them. In 6, effects or workings. These are things done by God's power. Now, he emphasizes varieties, varieties, varieties. In other words, there are different gifts. The diversity is essential for good health. God makes snowflakes. They're all different. Men make ice cubes. They're all alike. Um, and, and so, if you think about an orchestra, you see the diverse instruments that, that come together to make a pleasing sound. God intends for people to have different gifts and abilities. That's really true beyond just spiritual gifts. That's true even of just ordinary abilities that we have. There's a diversity. We aren't all alike in that. And, but the point is, the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. One source. If it's the same Lord that's giving all the gifts, that should eliminate rivalry, jealousy, boastful comparisons and things like that. Now he gives a list, uh, but he says first of all in verse 7, for the common good, let's get that in there. This is uh, not to try to show off, but it's to help others. Uh, it's, it's to uh, try to encourage and bless them spiritually. And then he gives this list, and uh, he says there's the uh, word of wisdom, not just wisdom, but the revelation of wisdom, the word of knowledge, again, not just knowledge, but the revelation of the knowledge. Uh, special uh, gift of faith, gifts of healing, uh, miracles, prophecy, being able to evaluate the prophecy, the distinguishing spirits, the tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, I don't believe that's all the spiritual gifts. This is a representative list of gifts, not an exhaustive list. 
There are other lists even later on in this chapter. Uh, but this is a considerable list. The Corinthians should not be so single-focused on just one gift. And did you notice where tongues were? As we go through these chapters, we'll see that tongues were kind of the problem child. And they're at the bottom of the list. You know the order of the apostles? In all the list of the apostles, who's at the end? Judas. There's probably a reason for that. And so, but, but these are the gifts. There's a diversity of gifts, but it's one spirit that works all these things, giving to each one what he chose. You see that God's in control. God's the one who's, who's giving out the gifts. All right, are there comments or questions to verse 11? Josh. What is this special gift of faith? I don't know. <laughs> Other questions? (laughs) Well, I don't know of any indication that special faith is needed to receive the gifts. And we will see later that the gifts had were, were given for a limited time. Brad, I think there's some other reasons also why the gifts had a limited time. We'll see that chapter two. Uh, well, a twelve to fourteen. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether bond or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Alright, so he emphasizes this idea. we got one body with many members. You know, you need many members. One person is not a ball team. One person can't play the symphony. One person can't perform Shakespeare. You know, they, we need the many members, but we're united in one body. There's a diversity and a unity. We're different people, we have different gifts, but we're united together in the one body. And we need many members. Sometimes people try to be lone rangers. You know, I think I, 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 don't, I don't really need others. I'm going to be really strong, and I'm just going to do this on my own. That's not really strong. That's really foolish. That's really against God's will. God does not intend for us to kind of go it alone. You know, I, I think I'm more spiritual than others. I, this, this idea of depending on the, on the body, you know, I, I'm, I'm good just by myself. That's an arrogant attitude. It's incorrect. It's not according to God's will. Now, here's a typical passage, verse 13, and a typical concept probably for many of us. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. The marginal note in the New American Standard, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. 
Every other time this preposition is used, it's used for the medium that we're baptized into. Baptized in water. Baptized in fire. Baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Those are the, that's the same preposition. And, and so I think it's more accurate to say, for in one spirit we were all baptized. To say by one spirit implies that the spirit does the baptizing. But as far as I know, there's no indication in the Bible that the Holy Spirit baptizes people. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the spirit. And he emphasizes then that we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now his point is, we are all baptized in the spirit. We're all made to drink of one spirit. So there's no rivalry. The tongue speaker as well as the prophet receive the same, same spirit. Even those who are not gifted receive the same spirit. There's no elitism. Notice again, for by one spirit we were all, or for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were all made to drink of one spirit. The point he's trying to make is, we share together. We are all baptized in one spirit. We all drink of one spirit. Now I want to present some ideas that are not probably what most of you think, not what I thought a few years ago, but I think this is more biblical. You can evaluate that for yourself. Uh, but I believe that biblically, we are all baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you in a moment what that doesn't mean. I think that's what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is saying. I always struggle with that passage. Because it really is in one spirit that we're all baptized in one body. And give you some arguments for it being by also if you want them. But I think the end is much better. Um, the Old Testament emphasized that in the age of the Messiah, the Holy Spirit would be poured out. I'll show you just one passage. Look at Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord. And that one will call on the name of Jacob and so forth. God pours his spirit on his offspring pours out his spirit on his offspring, and they become the Lord's. The Old Testament expe expectation was in the, that in the age of the Messiah, the spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And it has been. Titus chapter 3 is, I think, very helpful to us. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit has been poured out richly upon us. When in the book of Acts, Paul, uh, Peter uses the Joel prophecy about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, he then, when they ask what to do, says to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It seems very uh, contextual to see that as the gift that he's been talking about from the book of Joel. He uses Joel as his outline. I'm not going to try to develop that right now, but if you'll look at Acts 2, 
really what Peter does is to explain Joel's prophecy in his sermon. In Luke chapter 3, look at this passage. This passage always bothered me a great deal. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now I used to explain that. Well, he'll baptize you, the twelve and Cornelius in his household, although Cornelius in the household probably weren't there. Probably not all the twelve were there. So he'll baptize you, whatever number of apostles were there, in the Holy Spirit. And then some of you will baptize in fire, and then some of you won't baptize in anything. But I think it's much better to see this. It's an either or. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit or fire. He said this to all who were there. So I think John expected Jesus to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. In John 3 and verse 5, though there are other explanations of this passage, think about it. Um, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If being born of water is to be baptized in water, why is it being born of the Spirit to be baptized in the Spirit? Now there's a number of other passages to think about in connection with the Spirit and its role, but I would just suggest that we need to give the biblical emphasis to the role of the Holy Spirit. I have not done that as well as I should. But I'm trying to do that more. I'm trying to understand more what the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit does. I would suggest you look at the bottom of this slide. Let me suggest some things that being baptized in the Holy Spirit does not mean. When we say that we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that could lead to all sorts of things in our mind. I don't believe that means that spiritual gifts continue today. We'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that God did not intend that spiritual gifts would continue past the first century. I don't believe they did. I don't believe anybody has spiritual gifts to them. I don't believe that there is any revelation outside of God's Word. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 3 talks about the revelation through the apostles and prophets. There are no living apostles and prophets. The whole entire revelation we have of God's message is what's been given in the scriptures by the apostles and prophets. I don't believe God speaks to anybody today, or that he communicates his will in any way other than the word. And I don't believe that the Holy Spirit has some direct impact on an unbeliever. In John 14, 17, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. There's a denominational doctrine that non-Christian elect people are zapped by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they wouldn't use the word zapped, of course, but that, that's the idea. They have a direct operation of the Spirit upon them. And that's what brings them to faith, that the Holy Spirit irresistibly draws them to God. I don't believe that's biblical teaching. I believe the Holy Spirit is, uh, has any direct impact on unbelievers. Obviously, the Holy Spirit has an impact on unbelievers through the word that he's revealed. We use the sword of the Spirit to convert them. But I do believe that the Bible teaches that when we're baptized in water, we're also baptized in the Spirit. I'm not saying by that something very much different, probably, than what you've always thought. We are just simply immersed in the Spirit. The Spirit overwhelms us just as the water does. And, and we then live in the Spirit 
uh, and we follow the Spirit's direction in His Word. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Uh, we've been made to drink of one Spirit. I think it's appropriate for us to concentrate on the, the role and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, as the Bible does. I would look at a passage, for example, like Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 talks a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit. But look, for example, at verse 12, Romans 8, 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's interesting that we do not put to death the deeds of the body simply in our own strength. We do it by the Spirit. The Spirit empowers us and strengthens us and helps us to kill the deeds of the Spirit. Obviously, that requires our cooperation, as all the things the Lord does in us uh, do. But, but we don't do it alone. The Spirit helps and uh, uh, strengthens us to be able to put to death the deeds of the body. I think there's a lot of passages where it would be helpful for us to just reflect on the role of the Spirit, even like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Think about the fact this is not just the fruit of you trying to be a better person. This is the fruit of the Spirit working in your life. Now, is that Spirit somehow just overpowering you against your will? No. Is the Spirit communicating God's revelation apart from the Word? No. But is the Spirit enabling you to produce that fruit? Yes. Should God be glorified for giving the Spirit that produces that fruit? Yes. So, I believe here in the context of 1 Corinthians, his point is that there's no elite Christians. I don't care what gifts they have. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one spirit. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. You may have this gift or that in 1 Corinthians context, not for us today. But even if you do... We were all baptized in the Spirit. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. There's no elite Christians. There's no super spiritual that they've got this special super duper gift. I think that's his point of context. Comments and questions? Thank you. in Luke 3 that it's best to understand the fire as judgment. He goes on in Luke 3.17 to say his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn that he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So I think that the fire refers to the judgment, the punishment of the wicked and the baptism of the spirit refers to what God does for the believers. Uh, passage to to study in, in context with Luke 3 and Matthew 3, I think it's Malachi 3 and 4. Uh, last five, five, uh, chapter 4, 5, and 6 is what Gabriel quotes when he tells Zacharias, your son, uh, when he's going to come to speak with Elijah. Chapter 3, 1, Zacharias references in the prophecy. We read the, the, the chapter 3 and 4, and you suddenly see that you know, this messenger coming, preparing the way for the Lord. Um, and it talks about this fire. It says that people in chapter 3 talk about refining with fire that it increased, but in chapter 4 it talks about burning up the sinners like chaff. It's a very similar, same image that Luke, or, uh, 
Jesus says, as John baptizes water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I've always thought the specific fulfillment of that was there in Acts 2, when they were overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. So would you say this is just a, a different type of a baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I agree with you that I think Jesus is talking here to the apostles and referring to what happened in the upper room. And that the Holy Spirit came upon those people in the upper room as a fulfillment of this. And then when they ask uh, Peter, what does this mean? He says in Acts 2.16, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel that God would pour out of his spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters so prophesy and so forth and so on. And then he explains the idea of calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. They ask what to do and in verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think he's then extending that to them. They can receive the Holy Spirit. Clearly the Joel prophecy is not exhausted, I don't believe, in Acts 2. I think this is referring to God's continuing to pour forth His Spirit on those who are believers. So I think Acts 1, yes, is talking about the event in the upper room. The Joel prophecy, though, indicates that it's not just for them, but it's for all men. Now, I think that means that being baptized in the Spirit does not automatically mean spiritual gifts. I believe that normally, with the exception of, say, Acts 2 and Acts 10, that spiritual gifts were given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. I don't think that people being baptized in the Spirit meant automatically they had spiritual gifts. I think God gave these special gifts to the apostles in Acts 2 and to the Cornelius in Acts 10 for a special purpose. But in general, as the Holy Spirit is poured out, I don't think that automatically gives anybody spiritual gifts. Scott? Is there any significance to the word pour or poured? Because it's used many times. I think it refers to the abundance. This is not just uh, dripping out. He's pouring it out. We are richly blessed with the Holy Spirit. Yes, right. Yes. Yes, I think you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills you. Yeah, I'm fine with the term indwelling. I think there's many ways the Bible speaks of our relationship with the Spirit. We just got to divorce that from this uh, idea of some special feeling or some special frenzy or something. You know, we hear what people say though, being having spirit in you means, and we sometimes assume that's what the Bible says it means, and it's not. Eric. <laughs> the Old Testament passages to me really clear up a lot of that because when Peter's preaching to the Jews, they went to Sabbath schools, so they knew the Old Testament. So they would have understood from Isaiah 32 that when the Spirit's poured out, that means restoration and rejuvenation and renewal and the restoration of the kingdom. And that's what they had in their minds. And we have a totally different concept in our minds to do the Old Testament. And no matter what concept they had in their mind, I think the Lord expects us to study the Scriptures and have the right concept in our mind. 
I believe it does. I believe there's one baptism. Two different elements. I think we're baptized in the water and the spirit. You know, I don't think I know how. Um, uh, there's a lot of things I don't know how. How does God answer our prayers? How does the Lord dwell in us? But I think a passage like Ephesians three sixteen, Paul prays that God that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and so forth and so on. Uh, but how? Romans 8 is helpful for me with half of the Spirit. Romans on our behalf of the Spirit is working in that way. We don't know exactly how that works, but the Scripture is very clear that He is helping us in that very process. I'm not sure we know how very much that the Lord does for us today works. I believe in the providence of God, but I have no idea how it works. You know, I don't think I have to understand the how to believe the what. God didn't see fit to reveal all his hows. Um, let's, uh, let's work on 15 to uh, 15 to 19. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, unless a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason that any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Okay, so God's responsible for the placement of the members of the body, and we can't decide that we're useless. I don't have anything to offer. Why even try? I guess I just don't count. I never get asked to do blank. And so we just say, I'm, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. You know, what if the body were nothing but one great round rolling eye? Or some massive toenail or knee or whatever. You need all the parts. Don't think because I can't do what brother so-and-so does, I'm worthless. No, God put the members in the body where he wanted them. If I disparage my place in the body, I'm really insulting God's wisdom. I'm saying God didn't know what he was doing. He put me in the body in, in the wrong spot. God gave us our abilities. We must not worry about what we can't do. We need to do what we can. Let's, use, let's exercise the functions God has given us. This applies to spiritual gifts, but also applies to any ability. There are many things that we are more gifted at than others. And I can look around, and I can, for example, see preachers that are so much better scholars than I am. And I see all kinds of preachers that are so much better writers than I am. And I see preachers that are so much more dynamic speakers than I am. I see preachers that have so much better personality for reaching out to people 
than what I do, and so forth and so on. And it's easy to say, well, you know, what use am I? Hey, God gave me what He gave me. He wants me to use that. He didn't give me the equipment He gave to other people. He expects them to use their work, their abilities, and do what they can. Doesn't mean we shouldn't develop our abilities, doesn't mean we shouldn't do everything we can, but we are not everybody, and we are not the whole body, and we won't be able to be what everybody else is. God gave us our abilities. Don't envy the other one's abilities. Rejoice in them. They help out the body. So we can't decide, I want to be this, God didn't let me be this, so I, I'm out. If I can't be what I want to be, then I won't even try. I won't even bust the body. We need to trust the Lord and respect Him. Thoughts and comments? Eric? I think it's helpful to point out the difference between how our culture does the Lord and the worship and what the Bible does. Because in our culture, we view it as we pay dues and we get benefits, but in the Bible, we say you're actually a member of the body and you exist to serve. Yeah, and here we're really making the analogy with the physical body and the various parts of the body. But that's not true. 
In fact, he points out the idea that the body members that seem to be weaker are the ones that are the most useful. You know, think about less visible things. In, in, the, in, the, in your church, who are the members that are the most valuable? Probably the members that pray most fervently. Maybe the members that speak the kindest words quietly to people in need. The most thoughtful deeds. Now, they may not be the people who do a lot of talking up front. They might not be the people that uh, make the most noise and, you know, have the most impact. But they may be the most helpful members. We need to not overrate ourselves. Not overrate the things we can do. We're intended to be dependent. You know, this idea, it's just me and the Lord. I don't need anybody else. I just want me and the Lord. Well, the Lord may be intending to bless me through other members of the body. That whether I think I need them or not, God said I do, that's why He put them there. I need to respect the Lord enough to accept His arrangement that included many members in one body. So, these are very practical thoughts. Pretty clear, not so easy to live. Thoughts and comments. Sometimes it's it's easy for Christians to think that you know if everybody you know was ingrained with the same you know philosophy not working that you know, that the church uh, if the church was homogeneous shall we say you know then we wouldn't have any more problems. Well, the first century church wasn't like that, and you know, neither is the church today. In order for it to function. We actually need people of different skills. Amen. The diversity is helpful. It's one of the drawbacks to living in metropolitan areas with many congregations. The, we tend to have a congregation for every demographic. That's not as helpful. It's more helpful when we need to work together in spite of our diversity. That helps the body be stronger and better. It makes me think of... Um, the original 12 apostles that Jesus chose. He chose men of different backgrounds, uh, different occupations, different experiences, and each of those men was able to use that in a way that helped the Lord. Um, you know, think about Peter and Andrew, two brothers, one very outspoken and one we don't really know much about, but one thing that the Bible does say about Andrew is that he brought people to Jesus. So we need people who are in the front, like you said. We also need those behind-the-scenes people as well. Yeah, the apostles illustrate the diversity that we have in members. Good point. Yes, hi. should use what we've got. We should continue to seek to do all we can. We have the ability to develop in various ways. Let's do that. We want to be as useful as possible. Just focus on the work of the Lord and doing what we can to, to uh, enhance that. All right.
going to take a break for uh, supper, and uh, then we'll come back together again for another session and, and uh, some singing as well. Uh,